Gracious Father, give us a floor under our feet. Give us solid ground to stand on and may your Holy Spirit anoint us to hear and for our hearts and minds to be open to change. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, guys. Appreciate that. The most significant conversation I ever had with my mother occurred when I was around nine years old. I say around because I can't even remember the specifics. Somewhere eight, nine, or ten. Now, let's put that in perspective. If you're in this room and you are eight, nine, or ten years old, would you stand up? Oh, no. You've got to be kidding me. They're the ones... (laughs) wanted to talk to. I thought they were all in here. You will remember that because some of you have them out there and you know what it's like. She was in the kitchen, which was not an unusual place for her. I'm one of four boys, mom and dad. Meals at our house were about quantity. Four carnivores and two parents. She's cutting something up at the cutting board and I come bebopping through And I say, oh, can I help? And she says, sure, and hands me a knife, and I start helping. And we're talking, and it's lighthearted, and it's just kind of conversation like you have in a normal kitchen setting. But for some reason, there had been a news story, and it must have been on my mind because I brought it up. And And the news story revolved around three people who were murdered. Now, in this day and age, after all we've been through, the death of three people at one time is not an unusual occurrence. Back then, it was a really unusual occurrence. So, in discussing that, and I don't know how the discussion led up to it, but I'm nine years old and cruising along, and we're cutting away, and I said, what would you do if I killed somebody? And all of a sudden, that knife just stopped. I looked down there, nothing had moved. She didn't lay it down, she didn't set it down, just stopped in midair. And I glanced up out of the corner of my eye and her face was very serious and she was staring straight ahead. She didn't look at me, I could tell she was thinking. And all of a sudden, even a nine-year-old boy understood this conversation just got very, very serious. She paused a minute and then she said, If you killed someone, I would be very disappointed in you, but I would still love you. Now, I'm nine years old, and that answer is good enough for me, so it's good. We're just, and I'm back to work. It took years before I began to appreciate the depth and the meaning of those words. I had to live through love and disappointment and failure and needing mercy and giving mercy and realizing what a struggle sometimes love is. And the older I got, the more meaningful those words became. I am now 72 years old, and those are one of my prized treasure memories of my mother. Now, had that been a movie, it would have been all different. There would have been music. If I, if I give you this lead-in, can you think of the song or the, the movie? 
Yeah, I take it you know that movie. There, there, there would have been a setup. There would have been lighting and sound. I probably would have had a girlfriend. You know, the movie guys, you got to have a girlfriend. There would have been an advanced team. There would have been PR. There would have been posters. And it all would have led up to where you would know ahead of time, this is the moment. Real life doesn't work that way. Real life just happens. And Jesus, as he's walking about and, and as he's dealing with people, he'll just walk along and there'll be questions and answers. And all of a sudden he'll stop. And gather people around. Every once in a while he goes and sits down somewhere and teaches. But oftentimes he just uses who was there. I am always amazed that when Jesus told the story about, the, you know, uh, should we serve Caesar or, or should we serve God? And he said, hand me a coin. <laughs> he didn't have any money. He had to borrow money so he could make the point. Whose picture's on that? Caesar, give to Caesar what's his, give to God what's his. But when he needed a kid, it says he reached out and took a child. Children like to be with Jesus. And there were, were just people always around. Some of the, the folks, when he said things, some were pleased, some were displeased. All of them were surprised. Now, he's been out and done some things, and so here's hometown boy, come home. And so the crowd shows up and they listen to him, and their response is not promising. It's not really good. We know this guy. Who does he think he is? Here's his mother, here's his brothers, here's his sisters. We, we know this guy. What's special about him? And it's interesting that the text says he couldn't do any miracles there. Healed a few, but nothing like what they were hoping for. Now, this is the same guy who's going through a crowd and a woman, there's just people jostling all around him, and a woman who's been bleeding for decades comes up and, and sneaks up behind him and thinks, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. And she is. And he stops and says, I felt power go out of me. What happened? It's the same guy. He is not powerless. But to do something there would be meaningless. Because they've confiscated it and they, they have their own agenda and what they want him to do. The British pastor, William Barclay, in an atmosphere of bland indifference or critical coldness, the most spirit-packed utterances can fall lifeless to earth. Some of us are old enough to remember Jesus Christ Superstar, the musical. And one of the songs there exactly captures Jesus before King Herod. If you go back and read the text, it says Herod was anxious to see him. He was hoping he would do a miracle. And, and so the song associated with him in Jesus Christ Superstar says that this is just a part of one of the verses. Won't you walk across my swimming pool? If you'll do that for me, then I'll let you go free. Come on, King of the Jews. Entertainment. Please me. It's not why he came. He didn't come to please us. He came to call attention to God. And oftentimes our attitude in the midst of, of 
normal, everyday life, when we talk about God showing up, very much is Naaman. And that's why I inserted that text and why I had us read it this morning. Naaman says out loud what most of us are thinking inside. If you want to title Naaman's whole little speech, it's, that's not how I would do it. Here he comes, there's a whole story about how he gets there and why. And you heard the story. Elijah sends his helper out, go do this. And Naaman just explodes. And then he gives all, the, he, he, he details, he explains why he's so upset. What he doesn't say is, I'm so important, he ought to come out to see me. But that's really what he's thinking. He should have come outside. He should have called on the name of his God. He should have raised his hand. He should have healed me right here. I got better rivers back home. I'm going home. Naaman almost missed his healing because of his own preconceived ideas. And fortunately, there were some folks around him who could talk to him and say, look, if the great man had said, go do something difficult, wouldn't you have done that? Of course you would. They asked you to do something simple. What's wrong with that? It was the prophet who told you. So he goes and he dips seven times and he comes up and, and he's healed. And, and, and he says, now I know there's a God in Israel. But that's not how I would have done it. And if God were going to give a reply, it would be, I know. I've been watching how you do things all the rest of your life. You've screwed up all of your life. That's why I'm not doing it that way. That's why I'm doing it my way. Because when God shows up, what he wants you to know is this is God speaking. This is not just your good ideas. I'm not just here to anoint what you think is a good idea. I'm not here because I needed your advice. Because I needed your counsel. Because I needed you to tell me what to do. I'm here to help you understand that I am the one who created. I am the one who has loved you even when you tore yourself out of my hands and wandered off. I'm the one who's gone after you to rescue you. And when you, when you claimed me, when you asked for forgiveness and I welcomed you back, I'm the one who has said to me, you are my son or my daughter and that's a whole new relationship and we will never be apart. And I need you to remember that it's me doing this, not you. I wouldn't have done it that way. No. That's why God did it. He did it His way. We keep looking for something extraordinary. We just, we're like Naaman. We just have this idea. How many times have we made a prayer request to God? And in the back of our mind, we have the idea of what that's going to look like when that prayer is answered. So that's what we're looking for. We're not asking, you're God and, and I'm a man or a woman, I'm a human, I help me here. Implied in our prayer request is, and this is how you do it. And God comes back in ordinary time, in ordinary lives. And sometimes we miss it. He shouldn't have done it that way. 
God ought to do it the way I'm expecting. He's not here for our approval, for our help. He is here. He shows up in ordinary life to once again remind us, you know all those promises I made, that stuff about the Holy Spirit, that's still good. He's still here. I'm still here. I'm still with you. And it's not the big moments. You know uh, the, the Christmas play, the best Christmas pageant ever? It's a popular play. And you know the little angel that can't just announce the word of the Lord? It's got to be Shazam! And then God does something. And we're kind of like that. I want to say something to all of us who are older. There were more in the first service, but there's still some of us here. When I was 33 years old, I planted a church in Hot Springs Village, Arkansas. It's a retirement community. I pastored that church for 14 years. So I got a chance to see a whole lot of retirement. Now, trying to do church in a retirement community is like trying to do children's church during recess at school. They're like kids. I've been working 35 years for this moment and now I'm going to play. And, and I realized retirement is a calling. It's no different than any other season of life. And I would say to those people over and over, and since retiring, I've said it to myself. That this is not vacation time. You haven't earned this time. And people tried it. We learned not to put anybody to work at the church until they had been there a year. Because they would come and they were excited and they would overextend. And they <clears throat> would go back home and visit. And people had long since moved past them and forgotten about them. And they would come back mad. And that's when they finally said, what does God want me to do here? And I said, this is a calling. For some of you, the most important work in your life is going to begin now. God has spent all those years training you and filling you and preparing you for this time. And there is somebody who will only hear the message through your mouth and your lips and your words, not mine. And if they're going to be reached, it'll be by you. And what do you know? God has been putting that all together so it could happen now. And so we begin to develop a sense of, God, what do you want me to do now? I don't care what age you are. And I don't care what you're doing. God loves ordinary life. That's this series, Finding Christ in the Ordinary. God loves the routine things that you and I do because then we're less focused on what we want God to do and how if he came, this is how we would want him to do it. And we're just involved with life so he can just show up and can suddenly change and, and can suddenly make a difference. And that's why we're here. And that's why we gather Sunday after Sunday. It's why we do a lot of things over and over. It's not because we're in love with routines. It's not that those routines are sacred. It's that we come and lay ourselves before God and try and remind ourselves through our liturgy one more time. It's really about you. It's not about me. And all of a sudden he speaks.
And when the little voice goes off in your head that says, that's not how I'd do it, another little voice needs to say, wait a minute, that just may be God. When Jesus drew near the end of his earthly life, the, the, the crucifixion, that's the big center part of the story, but then, you know, he's raised from the dead for 40 days. He goes around appearing and the, some of the group begin to reassemble and he goes out to a hillside and he gives them his final blessing and it says the clouds came in, you know, and he, he departed. He went away, disappeared from their sight. And two angels come and stand by the people and they, they look at them and they're looking at them and they say, what are you doing? What are you doing looking up into the sky? What they didn't say, but they're implying is, go back to town. Go back to your normal life. That's where he is. He said he would be with you always, and that's true. And as you and I go through these normal routines that, that we think we could do them in our sleep, what difference does it make? That's the stuff God uses to reach you and me and others. Go in peace. You're going to get up from here and you've got some lunch planned and go do some normal things. Who knows when God will look at you and say, now, and will speak to you. I'd be very disappointed in you if you killed somebody but I'd still love you. And those words mean more to me than, than I can say. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we are people who are trained by all the media around us, by the devices in our homes and in our hands. We are trained that if we don't have a popular following, if other people don't notice us, that somehow we don't count. It doesn't really matter unless somebody else is over there cheering us on. And yet time and time again, you show up to ordinary people in ordinary places and all of a sudden they have to realize, oh, this is God talking. And he's speaking to me. And there's no music and there's no lights and there's none of the cues that we look for to make it special. Because what's really special is it's God. So today, Father, help us to love and cherish those around us a little bit more personally and more closely. Help us to value the time we have together with them. It will not always be so. I was 23 when my mother died. I would love to have more years, but they didn't come. Help us, Father, to cherish you. And to know that no matter what is happening to us in our lives, whether our, our, our families and our lives seem to be falling apart, whether they seem to be coming together, whether we don't seem to have any future, whether we have too much of a future, you're with us in that. And you will be present in that stuff to lead and guide us into our future. Thank you for the mighty name of Jesus. His word is still true. He is coming for us. And one, way, one day we shall be together with him and all the saints. And that keeps us going. In his name, amen.